Welcome to House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you're ready to get your physical, emotional, and spiritual life in order, join us for the next hour as we meet some interesting people who will share stories of success and wisdom that you can apply to your own life. Now, here's Dr. Connie. Thank you for tuning in to our June show on Dr. Connie's House Calls. It has been a tough month, hasn't it, folks? For our personal lives, for our country, our world, for we as a people, it's been a really tough time. Right when you think things are bad, for some reason, it just gets worse. One of my patients was asking me a month ago, you know, when is this pandemic going to be over? When are we going to stop seeing it on the news? And I I said, look, I think it's going to end when something worse dominates it on the front page of the newspapers and on on the 24-7 news network. And sure enough, there we go. We, we have a horrible death leading to violence, to looting, to protests and, and disruption and chaos, lots of anxiety, fear, and then people not physically distancing. And now we're seeing rise in more of the virus elsewhere in this country. So when you take a deep breath, so I have patients who are anxious about everything. And it's a tough time not only dealing with physical ailments, as I have a dear patient and friend of mine who is in the uh, hospice now uh, dying of cancer, but dealing with all the things around us in our social environment, in our world. So how do we get through this, right? How do we get through this? And they always say one day at a time, folks. But sometimes on days that are tough, it's one hour at a time, one minute at a time. But before we dive into what do you do in tough times, I always like to start off with positivity, right? Positive notes. And I always like to do my honorable mentions. And so these are my honorable mentions for the month of June. I, I want to say happy birthday to all my dear friends out there, to my friend Tony, who I had dinner with, Tony and Nate. Uh, she and her boyfriend Nate uh, yesterday to celebrate her birthday this, this month. For weddings, June is a wedding month. Any June brides out there? I was a June bride uh, nine years ago. Actually, it would have been 10 years this uh, this month. The most popular wedding months are May, June, and August. And it's also a month of graduation. Sadly, a lot of graduations have been canceled or gone pretty much virtual. So I want to do an honorable mention to my son, Jason, who graduated with the Honors University of Minnesota a few weeks ago. He had a virtual graduation ceremony, and he, uh, with his honors, was one of three MBA students at University of Minnesota to be honored and as a MBA to watch for 2020. So they did a special article about Jason uh, from his school, and they interviewed him. And it asked him about himself. One of the they asked him was, what's one a fun fact about yourself? And, and I looked at these, and I didn't know the answers until – you know, he brought up what, you know, what he interviewed. So Jason shared one of the fun facts about himself was he said, I met the president of the United States at the ripe age of five in the Oval Office. And I just remember that. I had just gotten promoted to captain and Bill Clinton was president and we did the ceremony in the Oval Office. But one of the things that really touched me was one of the questions they asked Jason, who most influenced your decision to pursue business in college? And he said, <clears throat> this was his answer, my stepfather, a turnaround CEO who was an incredible role model for me. I saw how an MBA propelled his career and brought him more success than he could have ever imagined. He passed away last summer in a tragic accident, but I'll never forget his sharp intellect and integrity. I owe much of what I've accomplished to his support. And that really touched me because... I know my late husband, John, would have been so honored and touched that he was mentioned and that he impacted Jason's life and career, made such a difference. And I think when you look back at life, it's about touching the people you leave behind, I think. That's your legacy. What do you leave behind in the people whose lives you touch? I also think of this month, as we talk about lives being touched, is Father's Day. And this coming Sunday, June 21st, will be Father's Day. We celebrate dads, stepdads, grandfathers, surrogate dads, um, adopted dads, foster dads, great-grandfathers, all the dads out there. Now, where do we get this holiday? Well, we know it's a, it honors fatherhood and paternal bonds, as well as the influence of fathers in society. In 
Catholic countries of Europe, it has been celebrated on March 19th as St. Joseph's Day in honor of St. Joseph uh, since the Middle Ages. In America, it was founded by Sonora Smart Dodd, was the name of the person, celebrated on the third Sunday of June for the first time in 1910. It's held on various days in many parts of the world and throughout the year, often in the months March, May, and June. So on this Father's Day, I think of my dad who passed away almost two years ago, hardworking, dedicated, stoic. What did I learn from my dad? I learned from my dad to be tough, to not give up, don't let, don't let people put you down. I learned about a servant mentality because he was a, a steward, a, a houseboy, started off a houseboy in the Navy, worked his way up the chain of command. He looked out for the people who served with him, so he was a wonderful role model. But at growing up, I was afraid of him. All of us kids were afraid of our dads back in the 50s and 60s. My, our mother would say, you just wait till your dad gets home, right? That was a big threat. So we really feared our fathers. We hardly saw them because they worked all the time, and when they came home, they didn't really want to deal with us, so they would sit and watch TV and have a beer. But it has changed. With dads in the 1980s, uh, the father of my two sons, Richard, uh, was in the delivery room when the, my two, our two sons were born. So more of a hands-on dad, and even more so with our son, Andrew, who is 33, is a wonderful father. He has three children with his wife, Erin. Uh, Addie will be five pretty soon. Alex is a little bit over three, and baby Aubrey is 17 months old. And Andrew has been even more hands-on that he is working remote since March for his company, and has worked out a routine where he can help Aaron with the kids. And so my step, my, my grandkids are so blessed to have their father with them most all the time and to have his influence and love. And, and I look at the, the importance and the blessing of having parents, mom and dad, to be there as partners. And I, and I talk to my friends who struggle with their kids or their grandkids where the parenting skills were not optimal where the parents tried to be their kid's best friend. And I said, you only got one set of parents, right? And your parents at times cannot be your best friend. Their job is not to be your best friend or buddy. I've got to be your parent. I've got to guide you. There are times I have to discipline you, call you out on things. One of the greatest compliments our kids paid us was as little kids, they would call us mommy, daddy. They would just combine the names mommy, daddy, because they saw their father and myself as a unit. We backed each other up. If I said one thing, they wouldn't go around my back to their dad, and he didn't undermine me. So we never did that. So we gave them that moral compass to guide them, give them values, what's right, what's wrong. Can't get away with certain things. you got to listen to rules, to be respectful, to be kind, to be good to other people. This is how you show respect. This is how you learn from home. So as I look again, all the things going on, how does that tie into what we're going through in our country <clears throat> with the unrest, starting off with the violent death in Minneapolis, with the protests, the violence, lots of anxiety and stress. People are glued, glued to the television set. People are protesting peacefully, which that's, that's fine. I am for that, peaceful. Uh, don't break the law, guys. I'm not into breaking the law. Uh, once again, the issue of color of one's skin becomes the major issue. And I look back at my life. I am Filipino-American. Uh, you look at me and I, I look, well, depending on what color I am, I'm actually pretty dark now thanks to the Arizona sun. Uh, I, my parents are born in the Philippines. They're Filipino. I'm Filipino if you look at me. But I laugh and tell people, well, I'm sort of a white woman in a brown body. It's, it's the opposite of what my future in-law will be. My, my son's marrying a beautiful gal in Minneapolis. Her, father, her parents are Caucasian. And her father was born in the island of Cebu. So when you meet her, my, uh, my future in-laws, he's six foot seven. And his mannerisms, his vocabulary, just the way he thinks, are that of a, a Filipino man. So he is a Filipino man in the body of a white man. And I'm, you know, a white woman in the body of a Filipino. So, you know, but I think, you know, I think about soul and the soul has no color. But let's go back to, let's go back to life. Let's go back to color with what I grew up. I grew up in Washington, D.C. in the mid-1960s during the Civil Rights Movement. Now, back in the 60s, my parents and I uh, and brother and sister drove cross-country from San Francisco to Washington, D.C. It took us about a week to go cross-country. And in the 60s, I don't think many people will still remember, they had segregated bathrooms. They had 
bathrooms for whites and they had bathrooms for colored bathrooms. And so when you're brown and you're Filipino, which bathroom do you use? We're not white, right? What color? I think, I think we use the, the colored bathroom. We would go into town in Alabama or someplace in the south and to, to spend the night. And my father would circle the town looking for a motel that would accept us. And he would actually, you know, where's the right part of town? He would go to see a town where he would see people, he would see black people walking and feel, okay, we would be all right here because there are black people here and we would be accepted here. They're, they're not going to give us a hard time if we get a hotel, a motel. We didn't even have hotels, motel rooms there. But I also look back in the military, of which I was a member for 24 years, and back in the 60s, they had not integrated the military. And I also look at what my father went to through back in the 1940, in the 1940s when he joined the Navy as a Filipino man. If you were of color, if you're Filipino or if you're African-American, they automatically assigned you to be a steward or a mess specialist, which in a lot of ways is a glorified houseboy. They didn't have women back then in the military back in those days in the 40s. But they, they became the houseboy. They would clean the house, and that's what he did. He worked with African-Americans as a steward. That was, these were the mess specialists. That's before uh, Zumwalt integrated the military. So you look at that experience and somebody, you know, since asked me, Dr. Connie, have you ever experienced discrimination? I said, of course I have. I've been discriminated or judged because my color of my skin, right, my height, definitely my gender, and I'm always being underestimated. I, I haven't had too many acts of violence because of, of my color too much. I do remember there were incidences growing up in Washington in the 60s where I would get the up and down look and people saying, go back to your country, you know, go back to where you came from. My sister Lori is pretty tough. She's in San Diego. And somebody made a comment to her in San Diego a few years ago. She was taking an MBA course. And they said, well, what about you and your people? And she says, you mean my people in Imperial Beach, right? You know, my people are go back to your go back to your land. She goes, you mean Hawaii? That's where I was born. So, I have I am no stranger to discrimination. Absolutely not. I have seen it. I always consider the source where it comes from. Um, I always consider, you know, they don't know me, and do I let it hold me back? Of course not. I don't let that hold me back. I consider the source. They're uneducated. They're illiterate. They have an issue, but I don't let that become my problem. I keep going on. And one of the things I, that really touched me in the midst of all the, the, the unrest about race turmoil was there was an article in the, in the Wall Street Journal, and it was actually it was an editorial by Jonathan Harmon, who is an African-American trial attorney and chairman of the firm McGuire Woods. And the headline of his article is, My Father's Advice, Don't Hate, Don't Hide, Don't Be a Victim. And in it, Jonathan talks about when he was 14, somebody across the street had a cross burning on their lawn. Now, this was September 1979. It was in, in uh, Port Jefferson, New York. And the family being targeted was were the fellow uh, African-American family across the street. And there was a cross, a, a cross burning uh, and as a hate crime towards them. And he, uh, Jonathan and his sister were very taught early on about that, about racism and discrimination. And, and the question they asked was, what do we do about this? And his father was a very wise man, as we, as we honor Father's Day. And he said, don't hate, don't hide, don't be a victim. Don't hate. He drew, on that, he drew it from Dr. Martin Luther, Luther King's message. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And his father taught him about teaching. Teach that love is the only antidote to hate. Don't hide means don't hide, don't be afraid, don't retreat from life, keep moving on with your life. And the final thing I look at is don't be a victim. And it's very, it's very important. Don't consider yourself a victim. You can do something about it. You can educate yourself. You can move on and be an example. Tell these people, we're not going to let you persist. These stereotypes you have about us are incorrect. We're not going to become subject to your prejudice. So it is a different world. Our hope, absolutely, from, the, from those days, but in a lot of ways, they're very similar. So my hope is that as we learn about what's going on, that we understand each other more, that we communicate and not shout or yell, that we find compassion, and that we allow each other to grow with each other and make each other better. And so to believe in that, we can help each other in so many ways. I'm going to pause for a three-minute commercial break and come back to our 
guest uh, uh, who's calling in today from California, whose books I have read and am so impressed and I think can help us all. So stay tuned on House Calls. When we return, I will have our special guest, Dr. Dave Rico, or he likes to be called as Dave, a wonderful author to talk about the book that has really made a difference in my life. So stay tuned on House Calls. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the president of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families, Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano, this is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano, If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. Welcome back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. As our theme for this month's show, I decided I would name this show Five True Things based on the book that has made a huge difference in my life, especially over the last couple of months. And <clears throat> this is how I found this book. I, and I really think it was heaven sent. There are things happen, always happen for a reason. I have, I have a God squad or I have angels that guide me. Never, things are never accidental, right? So as I look back at this pandemic, uh, a lot has happened in, in this year. It's almost a year to, since my husband passed away July 1st. Lots have happened, changes of where I live. I still continue to practice medicine, but then that changed with the pandemic as I, as I started doing remote work. I still go in to see patients, but we limit a lot of that contact time because of the rise in COVID here in Arizona. So a lot of what I do is email, cell phone, telemedicine. And so I've had more time to be by myself. I can't go out to dinner like I used to. I can't go shop. I can't travel. So the blessing of that is I've allowed myself to not be as distracted. And by not being distracted, I've really had to focus my own pain about losing my husband and all the changes in me that were part of me that died when he died. And and I thought, how could I be better? How do I recover? And I do have a bereavement counselor I see every month. I have many wonderful friends. I've got great family. But I think what has really helped me the most is Dr. David Rico or Dave's book, Five True Things. And the book came to me on a flight. And what happened was it was February 21st, which happens to be my late husband's birthday. He would have been 64 on that day. I was in Colorado wrapping things up at the house that we, we are selling in Colorado. I was on a flight from Colorado to Minnesota to see my son, Jason. 
And I sat beside a woman who is remarkable. She is the new president of a university in upstate Minnesota. And she talked about the challenges of running a college. And I have several friends who are college professors. And she was telling me all about the struggles about getting her student body, millennials, to understand that life is tough. There are things that are going to be tough in life. How do you move on? How do you deal with those things? And she said, you really, you know, she recommended to her students this book called Five True Things. And I said, well, let me go find it. So I went on Amazon. I ordered a copy of Five True Things. I put it aside. And it was during the pandemic where I had time to read and to pick it up. Well, first of all, such great marketing, right? It's The book can fit in your hand. It can fit in your purse for us gals. So, And it looks like a light read, right? I can read it over the weekend. But on the contrary, it is so beautifully written. It is deeply written. And Dave, I, I mean, I'm, you know, he did not pay me to say these things. I am promoting this, but I think I'm promoting it because it really has helped me. I bought like 20 copies. I give them to my friends. And, and I quote this book so many times. But before I go into it, let me introduce our guest who's on the other line, and we'll talk more about his book. Let me do all the formal things. Dr. David Rico is a PhD, prefers to be called Dave. He's a psychotherapist, a writer, a workshop leader. He teaches at a variety of places, including Esalen and Spirit Rock Buddhist Center. He shares his time between Santa Barbara and San Francisco, California. He combines psychological and spiritual perspectives in his work. He is the author of over 20 books, including one that the new topic is on COVID and triggers, which we're going to ask him to talk about this as well on our show. If you're looking for his website, please go online. It is Dave Rico, and that's D-A-V-E-R-I-C-H-O dot com. Phonetically, it's Delta Alpha, Victor, Echo, Roger, India, Charlie, Hotel, Oscar dot com. Isn't that great? I still remember all that aviation talk. So, Dr. Dave, or Dave, thank you for calling in on our show. My pleasure, and thanks for inviting me. How did you come up with your book, Five True Things? Well, it's a shorter version. It's more of a like a pocket version of my original book, which is called The Five Things We Cannot Change. And I noticed that the self-help movement puts so much accent on how to make changes mm-hmm. in your life. And I thought we should be paying some attention to the things we can't change. And I realized that there were many things in life we can't change, almost everything, in fact. Yeah. But I chose five specific, what I call, givens of life. And they are, then they became uh, the five true things. You know, yep. The first one is that everything changes and ends, as you experienced with your loss of your husband. And then uh, things don't always go according to our plans. That's for sure. (laughs) Life is not always fair. Um, Pain is part of everyone's life. And people are not loyal and loving all the time. And so if we can say yes to those without complaint or protest, we would discover that they are actually not penalties, but ingredients to become people of more compassion and depth and character. And that was a great discovery for me. You know, that realization. I, you know, and to me, when I read your book where it discusses that, where you say yes to those and you accept it instead of arguing and being angry at it and just accept it, it's what you call the gifts, right? I think you talk about the gifts yes. from each of those. Because number one, the thing that made me, everything changes and ends. Oh my gosh, why, right? But it does. I can't do anything about that. I couldn't, I mean, there's nothing I could do. And, and I think a lot of my patients who struggle are stuck. They are stuck. They will not accept it. They're angry about it. They do everything they can. And that's, it's not, you've got to accept that. 
how do you get people beyond that? I mean, how, how do you work it to the point where they do accept those things? I guess it's a matter of recognizing that it's beyond your control. See, the opposite of yes to the, shall we say, facts of life is not no. It's I want to be in control. Mm-hmm. I want to make things stay as they are. I don't want things mm-hmm. to change. Mm-hmm. I want my relationship to keep having a wonderful romantic titillation to it rather than become day-in, day-out routine. And obviously, uh, it's impossible to do that because everything goes through phases. Things don't stay exactly as they are. So if you're sitting in the horse, on the horse, if you're sitting in the saddle, in the direction the horse is going in, that would be a yes to the way it is, as opposed to sitting backwards in the saddle and wanting to go in the other direction. So this is about surrender to reality. Mm-hmm. It's about a, a, a total dedication to the way it is, believing that if I do this, if I go with the flow regarding the things I can change, I do want the courage to change the things I can change. But when it comes to the ones that I can't change, if I can uh, say an unconditional yes, which is the phrase that Carl Jung used about these facts of life. Mm-hmm. If I can if I can say yes unconditionally and unreservedly, I notice that I settle into life as it is and I feel much stronger. Mm-hmm. I won't be in control, but I will be stronger because I'm coming from a reality base instead of trying to shape the world in accord with my expectations. I'm thinking of uh, a uh, few lines from this poem, the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam, was translated in Victorian times. It's a, it's a Persian poem, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it says, Ah, love, if you and I could but conspire to change this sorry scheme of things entire, would we not shatter it to bits and mold it nearer to the heart's desire? <laughs> but, you know, we just can't do that. It's, it's tough for people, and a, a lot of my patients and a lot of my friends, it's all about control, isn't it? Um, yes. And nobody, I mean, it's, especially for me, if you ask my friends, what's Connie about? Well, it's no accident that the first three letters of her name begin with C-O-N. <laughs> it's control. And we hate not being in control. But sometimes the best things come when you, it's right. It's when you surrender. And, and when it's not in you accept, it's not in your control, it may be better than you planned for yourself. And I look back at my own life, you know, I, I, all those things that I see that, you know, life, everything changes and ends. That's, there were some good changes that happened. There were things that needed to be changed and, and things that ended that had to end in different parts of my life. I wouldn't be where I was. I mean, we wouldn't be here and doing the things we did. But it's also, I think one of the things about grief that you talked about was grieving is about letting go. Letting go is about going forward or moving forward and moving forward to become who we're meant to be. And we're constantly, the only thing that's constant is change. You're always changing. I can never have my husband back when we first started together 11 years ago. I wish, right, to, to mm. live in that state. I can't. I, mean, I couldn't control him in a glider. I couldn't control the way he died. I, in fact, for me as a physician, he died of something I had absolutely no control over. He didn't die of a medical cause. And in a lot of ways, I look back as I reflect and accept, that was actually the kindest thing he could have done for me. Because then 
the guilt isn't on me. I didn't beat myself up over, you know, a misdiagnosis of whether I, I, I didn't catch his heart disease or his cancer early. What could I have done? How could I, you know, or put him on, put him on a ventilator? I didn't have to deal with it. I didn't have to see him suffer from dementia because he would have never wanted that. I mean, there are a lot of things that the plan is if you let go and you surrender, it may actually be better than what you had in mind for yourself. Yes, that's certainly possible. And I'm glad you brought up the word grief, because I think that's why we fight the givens. Mm -hmm. Every one of them, uh, just by strange coincidence, is about grief. I mean, an ending Mm -hmm. leads to grief. Didn't go according to my plans. That leads to grief. Suffering leads to grief. People were disloyal. That leads to grief. And we're just not... Uh, used to allowing ourselves to feel the sadness, the tears in things. Mm -hmm. We are continually looking for a way around it all, a way uh, that would provide an escape hatch. But when you let yourself feel the grief that goes with these particular givens, then you notice that you become a fuller human because our tears wash away our childishness. Mm. They They place us in the adult world. Wow. You know, I I tell widows, of which now I have my own group of widow friends, that I call them waves of weeping every day without fail. Something will trigger it, and here come the weeping, and I just let it flow. I keep Kleenex boxes in my cars all around me. It's just here it comes here, and that's okay. It's all right. It just this wonderful. It's the catharsis of letting go. And somebody once said, "It's love that has no place to go that you weep." And one of my dearest friends is in hospice now. And I was talking to her husband the other day, and he says, I can't help it. I'm losing it. I said, of course you are. I expect, this is normal. This is what we, we do. We weep. It's okay. I would wonder almost about your love if you weren't weeping. That was that's, We weep. We weep all the time, and that's part of the grief. And, and, and it's okay to embrace that and experience. You're not going to – you can't shortcut that. You can't shortcut that suffering. Life is not always fair, right? Pain mm. is part of life. That's no kidding. And then people yeah. aren't loving and loyal all the time. And you see that over and over again about relationship that changed. Why did they betray me? Why did that happen? You know, why did that happen? I'm going to... Yeah, by the way, uh, what I notice is when I'm doing, as I have been over these past many years, when I'm doing this practice of, yes, that's the way it is, now what? Oh, so it's yes. Now what? I like Not that. Not just yes. Yes. Now I what? notice that I no longer ask why <laughs> in that plaintive voice. Good work. Who? Are why you? did this happen to me? I don't right. ask that anymore. Right. I just say oh, now what? Now this happened. Now, now what? I'm going to start adding that. Yes. Now what? Hey, Dave, I'm just going to pause a little bit. We've got a little break coming up, and then we'll come right back because I want to ask you about yes, now what, but also I want to ask you about COVID and triggers because that's the most timely thing that people are struggling with right now. So stay tuned, everybody. We'll be back with Dave Rico. Dave is a psychotherapist from Esalen Clinic. Uh, He's got his own practice. He's an accomplished writer and just writes the most beautiful and meaningful work that have touched so many lives, including my own. So stay tuned on House Calls with Dr. Connie and Dave Rico. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought... Which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States? 
My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families. Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano. This is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano, If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnyradio at gmail.com. That's drconnyradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. Welcome back to our final Part of Dr. Connie's House Calls for the month of June. We're talking about Five True Things, which is the name of a brilliant book that was written by David Rico, who is a psychotherapist in California who teaches at the Esalen Clinic and Spirit Rock Buddhist Center. He wrote this book. Uh, he is the author of How to Be an Adult in Relationships. In fact, he's written many books, over 20 uh, in studio now, I have one, two, three. I've got five of his books. I'll, I'll name you the titles, and I'm going to read these. I'm going to find the time to read them. One of them is called Shadow Dance, Liberating the Power and Creativity of Your Dark Side. The other is When the Past is Present, Healing the Emotional Wounds that Sabotage Our Relationships. The other is Daring to Trust, Opening Ourselves to Real Love and Intimacy. And the one I'm, I can't wait to read is When Mary Becomes Cosmic, A Jungian and Mystical Path to the Divine Feminine. And uh, so is a brilliant writer. And and I was touched by Dave's five true things and and his – the truisms, the true facts that he talks about, about everything changes and ends, that things do not always go according to plan, that life is not always fair, pain is part of life, and then people are not loving and loyal all the time. Dave, you've, I mean, you've touched so many lives with that book. And, and I think one of the things we talked about as well that you have on your podcast, you talk about what, what's going on in our lives now with COVID. Would you talk a bit about that with the audience? Because this is such a stressful time with COVID and triggers in your new book. Yes. Um, well, first of all, just to be clear, uh, my new book is called Triggers, How to Stop reacting, and start healing. And it's about the things that happen in life and in relationships that arouse us to an instant reaction, usually anger, fear, shame, uh, grief, could be joy, could be positive or negative, and we don't really have much control over the immediacy of our reaction. And my book shows you how to engage in a mindful pause, P-A-U-S-E, so that you could not have to react so sharply, and instead you could trace this big reaction you're having all the way back to your childhood 
which is where most of our triggers began. So in a way, a trigger helps us find the past in the present. It's not about COVID. It was written before COVID. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but it applies to that because the the events that are happening, and especially the news, as you mentioned, um, trigger us into reactions of fear. You know, is this going to happen to me? Oh, did I do something wrong? So I've... Uh, so I'm going to be a victim of COVID. And COVID is an example of one of the givens of life, that there will always be plagues, flus, various diseases that medical science is not quite ready to handle. Mm -hmm. And so there are many victims. But fortunately, we are getting a lot of information about how to protect ourselves. But the given is, no matter how much you protect yourself, you might still be in danger. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that, you know, as a scare tactic. I'm Mm -hmm. just saying it as, you know, just a fact. Mm -hmm. But um, when you have continually surrendered to the fact that everything is impermanent, including my own life, you start to place this whole experience into a context that's much more mature than just going into a panic about how the worst might happen. Instead, you're saying, well, I'm doing my best, and if it works, it works, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. And um, you're putting the emphasis on how to take care of yourself, but you're realizing that that does not mean that I'm in full control of what might happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It would, you know, what you just said makes so much sense, and it's so timely. My personal life, I, my, my dear patient, who's a dear friend of mine who is in hospice now, it's only six, 67 years old, I just had lunch with her two weeks ago. And she had had a little bit of heartburn. That's about it. You know, a little stomach ache, mild. Her husband had the same thing. And we were having lunch. She says, oh, it makes me so mad when my body lets me down. And I said, well, it's part of life. And, you know, she was doing the right social distancing, didn't want to come close. I couldn't hug her and all that. But we we're, you know, spacing out and that. And so about four days later, she started having mental status changes. I told her husband, you got to bring her to the emergency room. That's not right. That's something wrong. And so, and then she had some more abdominal pain that, that was not reflux. And so, sadly, we, we found her pancreatic cancer that had metastasized to her liver. And, and it was the beginning of the end. It was uh, somebody who hated being in the hospital, hated to be sick, was angry of, of this happening. And sadly, uh, it actually got worse because of the type of cancer and the, the the viciousness of this cancer. It makes the blood very clotty. It's prone to clot. So she formed clots in her aortic valve, which uh, spread to the brain and the brain stem and to the lung and on and on. So right now she's on the final stage to, to hospice and to keep her comfortable and to pass into the next life. But this is somebody literally I was just talking to two weeks ago. So everything changes, everything ends, right? But mm-hmm. I think yeah. when she finally surrendered, she, because right before she admitted to, she wanted to go to hospice, she told her husband, I want a second opinion. We need to go to use another hospital. We should try this. We should call these people. We do everything. I'll be on a clinical trial. It's like, well, yeah. And it got to the point, it just progressively got worse. And, and now when you let go and you accept and you keep her comfortable, then she can find the peace. And I think no matter how hard we try. And, and I, as a physician, for us, we're always, you know, do something, right? Can you, well, mm-hmm. But if I can just be there and witness and provide comfort, that's actually doing something. You know, I, I have nothing left to do. It's just me. Yeah, you're loving. doing by being. Being, yes. Yeah, and instead that's, of mechanically 
arranging things. Yeah, and you can't. And and for the family, I said, just be there for her. Be loving. Be with her. And and it's 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 hard. I, as I get older, I say goodbye to more friends than I care to say goodbye to. And it's like, why is that? Well, because they're getting older and they're at risk. And it and it happens. And 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 I think as you and I I should put this on a sign. Yes. Now what? No. And I ask myself, what do I do with my life now? What goes on? And I ask family members who've lost family members. Yes. Now what are we going to do? What what happens next? What about me? You know, part of me died with my husband in that crash and the memories, but I'm still me. I was the me I was, I thought I was before I met him. And and yet I'm the, I'm a better me because of that experience, having loved him and been with him and learned from him. And I will take all those things to become a better me, to still, to still be here. And so I, I love what you bring about the pause because everyone is so reactionary. We live in a reactionary world where you have to like it. You know, on social media, how many likes did you get? It's a reflex, reflexive. How many people actually have time to pause, breathe, and reflect? Just think. Can you just pause a minute, take a deep breath, reflect? You know, people don't hit the pause button. They hit the panic button over and over mm-hmm. again. Don't pa- – just think about it. It's the impulsive. We got to do something now, and they're never really great decisions when that happens. And then you regret that you said the thing. You know, someone said the thing they said or did the thing they did in that moment. They didn't think. All the things we're seeing were impulsive. They didn't think. What am I doing? You know, what's going on? Pause. And I, I think that really matters. What advice would you give for for people out there who are struggling? Is it? Would you say it's just pause and reflect? Yeah, I really like your using that phrase, and I also could add that anything can happen to anyone, and so there's no such thing as, why did this happen to me? Mm -hmm. That would come from a sense of entitlement to special treatment, Mm -hmm. and it isn't set up that way. It's Mm -hmm. set up that um, anything can happen. To anyone. And all that matters is that when something happens, I greet it with an unconditional yes, while at the same time I do all that I can to bring about a healing or a change for the better. But when I've tried everything and the message I'm getting is, there's nowhere else to go with this. Just say yes now and let things happen as they need to happen rather than as you want to make them happen. Mm-hmm. When we do that, we notice ourselves entering the spiritual realm, and it has enormous consolation and comfort in it, much more comfort than what comes from panicking that we're not doing enough or demanding that others do more for us or expecting that everything will change to exactly the way we want it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think when you mention a, a lot of the panic and triggers are from childhood, is it when, when children are having tantrums and not getting what they want or having that meltdown as little kids and... We just carry that into our adulthood? Exactly. That would be the entitlement style. But regarding triggers, going back to childhood trauma, is that's the connection to what triggers you now into fear or anger or shame Mm -hmm. or sadness even. That something happened way back, and the trigger is a trailhead into the part of the past that we might remember or we might not remember because we've, you know, repressed it. But the trigger gives you the clue. Something must have happened to me before that makes me have such a big reaction every time people come at me Mm -hmm. in X, Y, or Z way. So with your clients, how do you draw that out? How do you discover that with them, those triggers, that, the, those memories? 
Uh, it begins with um, realizing that when traumatic things have happened to us, the first thing we do is dissociate from them, try to forget them, repress them. So it, it would never be right to try to force someone to go back to a memory that they're not ready to handle. Mm -hmm. So you have to be very gentle in asking about recollections. You know, what comes up in your memory? Is there anything that ever happened to you that's something like this? Mm -hmm. But you don't want to push it because mm -hmm. trauma has its own timing and Sometimes we're just not ready to look at the uh, look into the abyss that we came from. So we just have to wait until again it's the pause. We just have to wait until something opens up inside that's ready to let us know part or all of what must have happened. In those early years, even pre-verbal. Wow. And it could be, even be that our parents weren't actually abusing us, but we just felt it that way. Right. It's your perception of it. <clears throat> yeah. We could speak for hours with you, but I'm going to go back to your number one given here, and everything changes and everything ends. So we're drawing an end to this show, Dave. So I want to thank you for taking the time to call in and, and to impart a, your wisdom and experience to our, our listeners. And, and I really encourage my listeners to get to read your books, to check your website. And I want to thank you so much because your words of wisdom and your experience and, and the message of your five true things has really helped me and helped the people I've shared it with. So many thanks again. And to my listeners, please uh, I, I this is my prescription. Get a copy of Dave Rico's Five True Things. It will, it will teach you to say yes. Now what? So with that, I end this show and blessings to y'all. Thanks again. Thank you. God bless. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you again for joining us this week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. We'll be back next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week.